0: never be afraid to ask questions. When you are considering bringing in investors, you are essentially selling a part of what you have created to Mm -hmm. them. And so that's something really powerful. I think entrepreneurs oftentimes feel like they are not in a position of control of what's going on. And in fact, you are. Welcome to The
1: Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I am really happy to have Liz Meislick, who's a managing partner at Loft Growth Partners with us on the podcast. And she also describes herself as a champion of mission-driven brands, which I think is so awesome. And I can't wait to hear more about it. So welcome to the
0: podcast, Liz. Thank you, Christy. It's such a pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. So I guess we'll start the way we sort of always do. Can you just give a little bit of background on how you found yourself in this unique position of being part of this group at Loft Growth Partners?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've spent most of my career actually building brands as an operator, not as an investor. And through that journey, I've interacted with a lot of investors and had to raise money, sold businesses to investors, and i found along the way i've met a lot of great people including my current partner both of my current partners andy whitman and sharon kiefer who i met along the way and actually they were not investors in the business that i was running at the time but they were incredibly generous with their time and sought me out and offered help and guidance and connections that you know again they had no skin in the game they just really wanted to help and You know, as I progressed in my career, I really found that my joy, my flow comes from helping entrepreneurs and connecting with people who are creating something important in the world. And so I realized I wanted to spend all my time doing that. I was spending my nights and weekends and really wanted to be dedicated full time to helping others in this way. And so my first call was to Andy and Sharon because of the way in which they conducted themselves and really helped people so generously and selflessly. And fortunately, it just really worked out that they were looking to bring on a third partner. So that was very serendipitous. And that was about two and a half years ago. So right. Oh, wow. Interesting
1: timing. Yeah. Very. Yes. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, there's so many things that I'm sure you want to cover, but doing this right as COVID started, did that make it even more challenging than it might've been to make the switch?
0: Well, I think in terms of how we think about our role and what we're here to do, it actually was very much in line with our ethos, which is that we are in service to the people that we partner with, the entrepreneurs that we partner with. And we partner with very few so that we can dedicate more of our time and have our interests more aligned with theirs. Specifically, what I mean is by having a smaller group of companies that we invest in and partner with. It matters more to us, each individual company and and their success, because it has a a much more profound impact on our investors' returns. So it makes us very motivated to really help and engage and, and be supportive and, again, be in service to them. Also, as former operators, all of us, we have a unique understanding of what entrepreneurs go through and what it takes to build a business and how hard that is. It goes far beyond the spreadsheets. It's really, I mean, the toughest things have to do with people and culture and just, again, all of the, you know, it's not if something will go wrong today, but what challenge will we face today? So, you know, having had those experiences ourselves and again, the real dedication to working with the people that we've been so privileged to partner with, I think just made the challenges of the pandemic that much more manageable for all of us. I mean, obviously these were unprecedented experiences that we all went through. No one had ever been through this before, but because of the alignment support partnership that we had, we were able to really jump in and work together to help manage through, you know, all of the unforeseen issues that every company had to deal with, frankly, over the last two years. And and we see that those challenges continue to mount now, you know, just when we thought we're out of, maybe the health crisis that we've had around the pandemic there's a residual crisis for consumers and for the companies that serve them in terms of you know rising costs volatility in the public markets and the private markets and just challenges with labor you know less labor less talented people to hire as businesses grow. So I think we're still very much in the throes of dealing with some really unique challenges in our economy that make our role as partners that you know continue to be very, very important to helping our companies and even those that we're not invested in, but that we really try to help in the broader community of entrepreneurs. It really has been very, very challenging for a lot of them lately. Yes,
1: I hear you on that. And for everyone, right? I mean, yes. it's just been a crazy time yes. and probably really good training for you. Like you came in at one of the craziest times and hopefully at some point it won't feel so crazy to all of us. And probably a lot of things that happened during COVID have made us all smarter. I'm curious about the kinds of brands that are right for you specifically. Like, first of all, as Loft Growth Partners, are you all about mission-driven brands or is that your personal kind of thing? And if either way, what are the brands that you guys gravitate toward and why?
0: Yeah, if you look at the companies we've had, again, the privilege of partnering with, really, that's a consistent theme that we have. So it's, for me, absolutely, it's a personal mission, which is what drew me to this team and this firm. And it's a prevalent focus of all of us in terms of the kinds of companies and people that we are drawn to and really want to associate ourselves with and help. And so I just think... We have such an opportunity in commerce, in business to make an impact. And having served on boards of NGOs and and worked as a volunteer over many, many years, I, I think that's such an important group of institutions as well. But I see just the outsized impact that businesses can have in doing good for people and planet. And we're really excited to be able to put dollars to work to make that happen, to drive financial and economic success as well as drive impact in the world. And so, you know, I wouldn't call us an impact investor in the way that there are so many wonderful firms that are doing, you know, really important work there. But certainly when we think about the brands that we choose, it's those that have, you know, a, a component that really is about how do we not only provide great products and experiences for consumers, but do it in a way that that gives back.
1: What are the sizes of the brands that you guys work with for the most part?
0: For the most part, I would call them growth stage. And that means that they're beyond what I call the proof of concept. They've figured out their product market fit. In other words, understanding you know, what product they're selling to what types of consumers and what types of channels. Though, you know, one is never done working and tweaking, <laughs> tweaking those things, but really kind of have reached that, I would say that first summit of figuring that out and have some proof that the market wants what it is that they have to offer but yet they're not yet at scale and so they're you know their through figuring out what they are in the world but trying to figure out how do we grow that how do we make that resonate for more consumers how do we reach more people how do we create a supply chain that allows us to grow and scale efficiently and profitably. So those are the types of things that we get involved in helping them with. So in terms of revenue, that roughly translates to generally between 5 and 20 million in revenue. But again, it could be less, it could be more than that. It really depends more on the stage that the business is at than necessarily a revenue number specifically.
1: And how do you wind up getting connected to the brands, or how do they get connected to you? Like, what's your process like?
0: Well, we do a lot of work, just really, again, because this is a source of joy and value to us, is to really be out there in the community helping entrepreneurs. So, for example, Andy has for years been involved in the Hirschberg Entrepreneurial Institute, which was created by Gary Hirschberg, founder of Stonyfield and a wonderful philanthropist and just very generous supporter of entrepreneurs himself. And so the Hirschberg Entrepreneurial Institute really creates programming and collaboration and tools to help early stage entrepreneurs understand how to build their business from the ground up to be successful, taking into account lots of mistakes that Those of us who have come before them have made and trying to avoid those. So there's that. We do a lot of seminars, webinars, getting involved in organizations like Brandjectory, like NCN, the Naturally Network events at expos, at Noshes, just sharing what we've learned and, and trying to provide tools and resources and advice that can be helpful to entrepreneurs so that we can again, reach out, be helpful, and and hopefully connect with folks long before we would necessarily invest, but to build a relationship such that you know we have a, a mutual trust and comfort and collaboration before we ever invest. So we're just out there in, in the community and the world and trying to help. And most of the, the folks that we invest in, we've known before we've invested in them, or they've been referred by other trusted partners industry resources that we work with bankers lenders you know other other entrepreneurs that we've invested in before that type of thing
1: interesting you know when i listen to you talk this is really interesting it doesn't feel the same as other people that i've talked to it feels like i, I like if you weren't telling me that there was some part of this where you were being compensated i would feel like you're talking about it as if you're so passionate about it you can't help but do it and i love that because it feels like it's different than a job for you.
0: Absolutely. If I were in a situation where I didn't have to get, you know, didn't have to make money, I would still be doing the same thing because I really drive so much joy and satisfaction and inspiration from helping people that are creating something that are innovating in a, in a, in, a, in the world and bringing something to all of us that we didn't have before. And, Again, especially things that are are helping us live healthier or helping the planet be healthier. I'm just, I'm so motivated and, and moved by people that are creators. It's one of the hardest things to do, but I think it's one of the most special things about our country, about what makes the United States so special is to have so many creative people that can literally take an idea and turn it into a very successful business and in this industry specifically in consumer products we've seen over the last 15 years there's been 20 billion dollars and i think my statistic might be outdated in fact but as of my last check 20 billion dollars of value that had been created by entrepreneurs creating things from nothing and what's more most of the entrepreneurs and natural products and consumer products that have been successful have never done it before. They didn't come from the food industry. They didn't come from the consumer products industry. They had an idea or a need themselves, and they went out and figured out how to do it. And that's just incredible. Again, that we live in a place where people can do that and where we as investors have the privilege of supporting them and helping them. It's, yeah, I absolutely love, I feel like I have the best job in the world.
1: That's really cool. And it's also even better because you're talking about mission-driven brands and, you know, the brands that are doing good things for the world, whether it be giving people healthier options or whatever it is that, or, or doing things that foster sustainability, all of those things, those are the brands that people are excited about right now. So that's even, even cooler than $20 billion being created by, (laughs) It's even cool because the stuff that's happening right now matters, in a different way. Like it's different than just coming up with a new idea and having yet another, you know, protein bar. There are things that are happening that are truly better. And I think that's really cool that you guys are involved in that. I'm curious about two things. I'll start with you're a woman and you're on the investment side and that's not That common. I mean, I I interview a lot of people, and even from a founder side, there's still a lower percentage of women founders than I'd like to see. But I think that's changing faster than the investment side. Can you so can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, it's remarkable to me, Christy, how even today in this space where I, I like to think of us as more progressive than other industries, there's still so few women and so few people of color that are a founders and be investors. And that's a problem because if we look at who it is that we're in service to, the consumer, the consumer is, you know, rainbow of colors and different, all different genders and different backgrounds. And we don't have necessarily that representation in the companies that are creating products and services for them. So that needs to change. And there are a lot of initiatives underway to do that, but I would say we're just barely scratching the surface. And so that is not lost on me. And it's a key reason why I wanted to become an investor is that I never really saw the type of person that looked like me or had my kind of background. I felt that I met a lot of really smart people, but very few women, very few people of color, and also very few who had run businesses before. I felt that for me that was I found it really hard to relate to my investors or to necessarily feel like they understood what I was going through. And so that's what I aspire to bring to again the the people we invest in but hopefully many many more is that sense of, you know, demystifying what this is. I was always intimidated. What is investing? What are, you know, the the aspects of a term sheet? What's preference and what are waterfalls? I mean, these are things that how does one ever know these things unless you've been through it? And when you're going through it, you're usually at the other side of the table negotiating with investors. And so I aspire to really help demystify a lot of these things that are really simple at their core, but wrapped in a lot of language and, you know, and jargon that people may not in financial engineering that maybe people aren't familiar with and, but is, is material to their success because ultimately most Brands will raise money from whether it be angels or institutional investors like ourselves. So the more they understand, the better off they'll be. And I think that, again, being someone who doesn't necessarily come from finance and has been an operator, I think I can be in a position to help break those barriers down and help bring more people into the tent and make entrepreneurs feel more comfortable with this process
1: have there been any challenges in your mind because you're a woman in any case, or is it different because you're on the investor side versus the founder side?
0: I think, I mean, fundamentally, I do believe that anyone can do what they set their mind to. And that's how I was raised. And fortunately I was the only child of a single father who just instilled in me, you know, from very, very young, you know, if you want to do something, just go do it, go figure it out. And that, happened for me when starting my first business at age 14 so I could make enough money to go to Europe for the first time because my <laughs> I had to pay for it myself. So that was you know, just figuring things out. I think I, I've seen all manner of people and from all manner of backgrounds and experiences do incredible things. So I don't think that it's been a disadvantage. I just look at it more as an advantage for entrepreneurs, male and female, or other genders, that will maybe feel more comfortable with someone who looks, you know, who is different and also to just create, you know, to reflect more who the consumer is, because the majority of purchasing decisions are still made by women. And yet, you know, very few women are in positions of power in investing or in brands.
1: Yeah. I think it's really interesting what you said about it being intimidating because it is really intimidating. And I think I don't know if this is, this is a total generalization, I probably shouldn't even make it, but I do think that women are more intimidated by things like that and less comfortable saying, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what a waterfall is. I don't know what a term, like, I don't know the answers to those things. And And that may or may not be true for men, but I think they hide it better regardless. Right. <laughs> so I think that's an interesting point because. I don't know what would you say to people who are so so nervous like you know there are a lot of founders like you said who are doing this for the first time have no idea they just had something great that they had to get out right so what would you say to them about the feeling of I don't know if I know what I'm talking
0: about I would say ask questions never be afraid to ask questions when you are considering bringing in investors you are essentially selling a part of what you have created to mm-hmm. them and so that's something really powerful. I think entrepreneurs oftentimes feel like they are not in a position of control of what's going yeah. on. And in fact, you are. I would say to them, you are in control. You are the one that has something valuable that people want to buy, or they're in a position to really try to influence that they do want to buy this. So you have a lot of power and control, and just feel confident in asking questions if you don't understand something to have people walk you through and ask about their process, ask about terms, you know, if you're confused about things, because the more, you know, the better decisions you're going to make and that's going to make your investors more successful too. So everybody wins.
1: Do you ever think when you're in a meeting with someone and they just don't know anything, do you feel like that's a Like, is that a thing that turns you away from someone or not necessarily?
0: No, I mean, everyone, This isn't something that you learn in school or that you're exposed to until you are, until you're creating something and you're sitting across the table. So absolutely not. I, I do feel that it's really important for anyone going into a relationship like this to be fully informed. So I find myself wanting to talk about it and to explain what things mean and what's happening, even if they're not asking, because I just, again, want everybody needs to go in eyes wide open and understanding this because it's a big, big, big decision to take on investment. But I find more and more, Christy, that again, another wonderful thing about our industry is that there's so many resources and so many people that are there to help paying it forward, truly helping others. And so I find that there's very few people that haven't had at least an advisor or someone along the way help them, talk to them. So they may still have a lot of questions and need to know a lot of things, but somewhere along the way, they've had someone help them. And if if there's anyone listening to this who doesn't feel like they have a resource or an advisor or someone to talk to, well, you can certainly reach out to us, but there's also so many resources of fellow entrepreneurs who have maybe one or two steps ahead of you who've been through some of these things that you can talk to as well. There's the Naturally Network, there's Startup CPG, there's Brandjectory, there's numerous other organ, you know, local organizations beyond the Naturally Network. There's so many great resources out there and lots of people to help. So I think that's really important too that it does take a village to build a business as it does to build a family. And so it's important that folks know that they have resources and to use them.
1: Yeah, I think this is a unique, I think the natural food space and the mission driven brand space is a unique community. It's not like big CPG. I think we talked about that at some point. It is a much more inclusive and supportive network of people. I think there's so much collaboration that I've personally experienced between brands that I never saw when I was working in big CPG. So (laughs) it was just so much more competitive and and it's not, I'm not saying it's not competitive because obviously It is. But when it comes to actually helping each other, I've seen so much of it that it's just it's really inspiring.
0: It is inspiring. And it's a source of advantage. And I think it's part of the reason why we have seen that success of so many great entrepreneurial brands take tremendous leadership positions in their categories and create so much opportunity and growth and wealth for the people involved. And and that, you know, I think it's because there's this this resource and of help out there that no one is alone. (laughs) Everyone has someone to talk to and someone to give them advice on any number of topics. So I think it's an advantage and having been in big CPG and seen that world as well and other industries, you know, financial services, technology, I haven't seen anything like this either.
1: I want to ask you about what you think it's like now to raise capital versus, you know, we talked a little bit about this too. I've heard a lot of talk about it slowing down a little bit and the valuations not being as high and maybe they, maybe there was a lot of overvaluation going on. I think that was probably partly true. What does it take right now to be successful as a brand in the stage that you guys are talking about?
0: You know, from our perspective and what we value in brands that we invest in, very little has changed. We are big believers in fundamentals and ultimately in things like gross margin and velocity and just building a business that is built to last because it has the opportunity to be profitable as it grows. And I think that the days of growing top line at the expense of all else are I think they were somewhat fueled by, frankly, by the investment community and more so than by entrepreneurs themselves. And I think those days, at least for now, are behind us. Maybe they come back. Everything is cyclical. But I think fundamentally, if you're building a business that has strong fundamentals, you will always be valuable and people will always want to invest in you. That never goes out of style. So I think, especially now when you know there has been a tremendous amount of capital that's flooded into the markets the last five to 10 years, we're seeing a lot of volatility and uncertainty right now, all of us as consumers, as investors, be it with our 401ks or what have you, and professional investors. So I think what we're seeing is that with this uncertainty, the risk tolerance tends to go down. And as a result, there may be less you know fewer dollars available, or or people may want to sit on the sidelines a little bit and sort of feel out the next six, 12 months, maybe longer. But you know that capital's still there. There's still plenty of money to be invested, and this is still a growth industry by far. I think when it comes to raising capital, always you know by focusing on fundamentals of the business, having strong gross margins, being capital efficient understanding the drivers of growth and how to grow as efficiently as possible, understanding the relationship between sales and marketing and knowing what, when you're investing to acquire a consumer, how much it costs you, how much that consumer is worth in the long term of the business and how to drive ultimately greater relationship and greater value from each consumer. I think those are things that, matter and always, again, always to us have, but now we're seeing that just becomes that much more important. So again, I, I don't want people to fear that all of a sudden money's drying up. There's plenty of investment. We're actively investing. We're looking for great businesses to invest in right now. What we're seeing is that more investors are taking the viewpoint like we have that margin and profitability matters. And so businesses that have those fundamentals will be highly valued as they always have been.
1: It seems like maybe there was just a moment where it felt easier, like you didn't have to prove as much, right? There were a lot of people that got investments that were not, that are still not profitable and got lots and lots of money. But I think those are the things that are sort of changing. I mean, I've, I've talked to people who've been like, you know, we've not been profitable for five years, but we're still doing great. And so I think that's a really interesting thing to think about as a brand. And as a founder, when you're thinking about tightening up your story and collecting data and making sure that, you know, you're showing what you need to show aside from those kinds of things that you just talked about, what else matters to you? Like how important are the founders to the brand? How important is the data?
0: Well, people are the most important thing fundamentally. I mean, we're investing in people most of all, and we're working with people to help build businesses. And there's going to be things that happen I mean, certainly, you know, whether it's a global pandemic, inflation, recession, I mean, there's all number of things that happen as a business grows that are external to the business and things inside the business that are challenging. And the ability of the people, the founders, the team to be able to react to those challenges and overcome them and be a stronger business as a result of going through them you know, 10 times out of 10 will lead to a better business. And so we are always looking at the founders, the team, and, you know, what they're not necessarily, again, that they have done this before, because most haven't, but it's really what are their values? How do they think about team and culture? How do they deal with adversity? And, you know, how open are they to help and support along the way? There's a lot of things that we look at as we talk to founders and and also knowing the self-awareness to know what they're good at and what they're not good at, because in the beginning, every entrepreneur has to sort of do everything, (laughs) right? Uh, But as the business grows, then you bring in more people and then you become, you go from being a creator to being a manager in a way, you know, you're managing a team, you're thinking, you're building culture. And then you're building process, you know, to make these things more scalable, what you're doing. And there's very different skill sets that are required to be yes. a founder in, in the early days versus building a business that's 10, 20, 50 million dollars in sales. And so mm-hmm. along the way, oftentimes founders decide that being the CEO isn't necessarily what they love. There's some aspect of the business that they really love, or maybe they want to go on and do something else once it's reached a certain point. So that self-awareness, what they're good at and what they want in the business as it grows is also really important. That's something we talk a lot about before we invest, because, you know, understanding what's coming and, and how they see their role in all of that is important. And there's so many changes that happen. So that's the team is a really important factor for us. The data, absolutely. But we, you know, I find almost universally that Data is something that people aren't spending a lot of time on in in the early days, so we're usually helping to bring that in. But there needs to be at least enough for us to see, as I mentioned before, that there's a proof of concept there, meaning that consumers are buying their products not just once, but over and over again, demonstrating that there's a real potential growth driver here, that this business can really grow. And capture the hearts and minds of many consumers and become a habit for them. The reality is it's not hard to get somebody to buy something once. It's really hard to get them to buy it multiple times. And this often, you know we talk about velocity a lot, and velocity as a proxy to repurchase. It's not exactly that, of course, but we see that we'd much rather see a brand that has a small number of stores, you know, a hundred stores selling ten units a week than a thousand stores selling one unit a week. Because having a smaller number of stores with a higher velocity demonstrates you've got a great engine of growth going that you can expand. But if you've got so many stores and having a hard time selling through, that's a tough situation to be in because you need to invest a lot of money across a lot of places to prop that up and get that growth engine going. So the data is important insofar as it can show us what kind of velocity we're seeing, or in terms of e-commerce, we have key metrics, KPIs around understanding our average order value, our customer long time, our LTV of our customers, understanding what our repurchase rate is, what's driving that, what are the things that influence, you know, why people buy. I mean, just getting These insights and data that helps us, at least at a fundamental level, understand how the business grows and what makes it grow is really important. And so, again, it doesn't have to be super sophisticated, but we do want to see that the entrepreneurs and the teams are understanding their business uh, as we're getting involved.
1: Can you talk a little bit about your comment on Velocity and having too many stores and not being able to support them? Because I do think that is a tempting mistake that I've seen so many founders make at the beginning. And then all of a sudden they're like, I've got distribution at 10,000 stores. And, you know, a year later they've got distribution at 6,000 stores and they're sort of lost and trying to figure out how to get it back. It's so much harder to get it back once you lose it. So can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that is a tempting mistake to make. It is.
0: And I understand, and I've made it myself and I understand what drives it? I mean, it is for every single new customer you have, retail customer, the impact that that has on your sales is massive. You know, when you're adding an, a Kroger or an ATB or even a Lassen's, you know, in the early days, I mean, if it's a multiple store chain, that has a huge impact. And so the temptation is very, very strong when you're starting out. You just want to grow, grow, grow. And so you'll say yes more often than you'll say no. And it's really, really, really hard to say no, especially when you are you don't really know what you have yet. However, not saying no and growing, especially in a very shotgun manner in terms of having products in different channels and different geographies very early on in a brand's life can create more problems than solutions or success for the business. And so- I oftentimes just, again, when I'm I'm coaching entrepreneurs, will ask them to think about what value they think each customer brings or before they even have the conversation with a retailer to really think about who is their consumer, where does their consumer shop, where do they expect to buy this product, where do they expect to find it in the store, and how do they know that's true? And oftentimes they struggle to figure that out. And so, so until you really understand that, I would spend time really focusing there and understand before you start, you know, growing horizontally, because a mile wide and an inch deep is a really tough place to be. So again, it's really, really hard, but what we've seen is brands that have a smaller number of stores, even in a very concentrated footprint, you know, start in your own region. Start with a a smaller number of stores and really figure out what it takes to get the product off the shelf and to do it in a way that is sustainable, that you can afford. Not, Not running BOGOs every week, but really what is the thing that gets consumers to learn about your product, to want to use it and to buy it and buy it again. Once you figure that out, you can really scale. It's really hard to do that. So it takes time and it takes persistence and focus. And focus is the one thing that I think I spend the most time really helping people to think about because, again, the temptation is very strong to say yes to everyone. And I will promise you that saying no to a retailer today, saying, hey, we want to be there, but we're not ready, I will say nine times out of 10. I've very rarely seen a retailer say, if you don't say yes to us now, we'll never take you on again. But if you go in and you say yes, and you don't succeed, you don't sell well, it's really hard, as you said, Christy, to get back there. And I think
1: that's interesting. And then also, I'm curious if you feel the same way about over innovation on the part of a brand, like they, the constant need to make new things, even when the thing that started it isn't there yet. Does, do you have that experience as well?
0: Oh, yes. Because once again, you know, the temptation is, especially when you're an entrepreneur, you're a creator, you're a builder, you're an innovator. So you always have new ideas and new things you wanna do. And so that's what makes entrepreneurs special and what allows new things to come into the market is that creativity. The challenge with over-innovating, as you said, is that you may keep building and adding things and not really have a strong foundation. And it's very, very expensive as we know to launch new things in the marketplace. And if they're not successful, then you spend a lot even more money getting them out of the market so we feel that having a very strong foundation a very strong base of products is the best place from which to innovate i.e you know having your core products whether it's a nutrition bar or cereal or a frozen meal really get that right get you know if once you have really strong velocities once you have good margins a good supply chain, a good stable quality process that you feel really good about. You have a good distribution strategy, and you're efficiently getting your products to your customers and consumers. Once you feel that you've done that really well, I think that's the time to innovate. But again, <laughs> you know, most entrepreneurs don't want to wait for that; they want to kind of do it sooner. and And what I would say is, a lot of investors discount the you know if you if you are in five different product lines you know, in your sub $10 million, that's a really, really hard place. And most investors will discount that and sort of look at what do we think is the real core here? And what is that business worth? So it's something that ultimately it it does impact the value of the business, even though again, innovating drives top line sales, it may not really drive the sustainability of the business.
1: I was going to ask you, you mentioned sustainability a lot, and now we're talking about it in terms of of a business, not the sustainability that everyone else is talking about. And I love that because I think that a lot of times you don't think about it. You just think as a founder about, I have an awesome idea. I got incredible distribution and I'm going to go for it. And you're not really tapped into, you know, can your business sustain your cost of goods? Can it sustain the amount of innovation? Can it sustain the amount of distribution? So I like that. And I think it's really, good advice. Could you talk a little bit about the brands that you're working with that you're feeling really excited by? Is that something you could share?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, first of all, we feel incredibly blessed to work with the brands that we do. And each and every one of them we've learned from, we've valued, we feel has made us better, and we hope that we've helped make them better. And all have been through different challenges along the way. But, you know, they are all an incredible journey and growth path. And it's hard to, (laughs) I I want to talk about every single one. I'll talk about one that I was working with just yesterday. So it's top of mind. And that is Back to the Roots. And Back to the Roots, I think, is a great company to look at because for so many reasons, I mean, for many entrepreneurs starting out, they may feel, you know, hey, I don't really I don't really know what's ahead. I don't really know. This is really hard, and I think that Alex and Nikhil, who founded Back to the Roots, where they started and where they are today, is a very different place. And I think that that's universally true. Where you start is not where you end up. And so, you know, just enjoy the journey and the journey of growth. And if you don't enjoy that journey, maybe maybe being an entrepreneur isn't the right job. But Alex and Nikhil. Started by you know growing mushrooms out of coffee grounds, and this story's been actually recently made famous as they were on the How I Built This podcast with Guy Raz, and I encourage folks to listen to that podcast yes. as well yeah. in addition to yours because it's, it's so just interesting. Great. I
1: just read about that podcast today, actually that particular one. So <laughs> I'm going to listen to that. That's really awesome. I didn't know that yeah. was.
0: It's great. It's a wonderful, because it really, like yours, Christy, It, you know, he talks to entrepreneurs and sharing their stories, not just of success, but the challenges Mm -hmm. that they went through along the way. Yes. And with Alex and Akil, they've, they started their business over 10 years ago. Again, so, you know, trying to grow mushrooms out of coffee grounds in a, in a urban warehouse in Oakland. And today I would call them the preeminent gardening brand with, for, and by millennials and, you know, really changing, I I would say shaking up the whole lawn and garden category with a new way of thinking about gardening that is demystifying, that creates fun experiences and connects people with where their food comes from in a way that I don't think any other brand does. So it's been a journey and they've had lots of twists and turns. They made cereal somewhere along the way, (laughs) you know, they did lots of different things but they surrounded themselves with great people, great advisors who were supporting them and, and investors as well. They weren't afraid to burn the ships, as they say, and walk away from something that wasn't working. Yep. They surrounded themselves with tremendous people who they were not intimidated and they're incredibly smart themselves, but they were not intimidated by you know surrounding themselves with people who are smarter and specific things that were necessary for the business's growth and building a culture of trust and collaboration and joy and being a part of something that's bigger than any one person, including them. And those factors have led them to survive and thrive all this time and to be on a trajectory now that is really, really exciting as again, becoming a category leader in gardening. So I think they're a great, as again, all of our brand partners are, I think they're just a a very inspiring group of people doing something really important in the world.
1: Do you feel inspired by all the brands you work with? Is that part of the deal for you? Like if you feel inspired, that's a checkbox for you?
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. And and for me, you know, (laughs) anyone who takes the risk of investing in themselves to do something that's never been done before and the proverbial pushing rope uphill to create yes. something, you know, yes. it's a pretty low bar. <laughs> that's a pretty inspiring thing right there. So yeah. that's usually, you know, in our first conversation, we're finding that. And again, it's then about how do we take that, that energy, that passion, that, that idea and turn it into something really big. And how do we do it in a way, again, that's going to give something back and doing something really important because life is short and consumers and us as investors, we don't want just the next product, we want to do something that matters, that makes a difference, that means something. And I think, you know, that's what consumers want as well. And that's what our entrepreneurs want to do. So it's really fun process. It ain't all easy. It's really hard in fact, but I feel that we're really aligned and we work together through those challenges and those problems. And another thing I'd say, you know, you're asking about, you know, advice for entrepreneurs. Another thing I'd say is people that you are considering having invest in your company get to know them as people ask them what do they do when things don't go according to plan or when let's say you have a down quarter or something you know you have challenges or your forecast you don't make your forecast i mean these are things that every company goes through again i think folks are generally and maybe feel intimidated to ask those questions yeah. yes. it's important yes. it's really important because every single business goes through hard times every single business goes through hard times along the way. And again, one only need listen to your podcast or how I built this or, you know, others that anyone listening to, you know, folks that have been successful, everyone goes through hard times. Yep. So understanding how those you'll be working with deal with that and asking others who've worked with them is important.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the most important pieces of advice anyone could take because I am working with some people on a bunch of different fronts and have talked to a bunch of people who didn't do that. And it's really hard to get out of once you're in it. And yeah, it's really challenging. And if you're not aligned, I mean, I think that's the most important thing of all, like really understanding who you're, it's a marriage in a way, right? You're doing something super important that you worked so hard on and you have to have the right partner because you're right. There are always, always hard times. It's just like, Growing up, there are things that come up that are awesome, and then challenge after challenge, and they don't go away just because you have a success or two. So right. I think that's really—I mean, I do honestly think that's probably the
0: most important piece of advice anyone could take, and I appreciate it. Of course. Oh, yeah. it's Christy. It's such a pleasure. Yeah. Same here. To Share this time with you, and I really I, I appreciate you. Way. Yeah, reaching out, and like I said, we're we're so honored to be part of this community that you're also part of, and want to be helpful. I just wanted to say it. You know, we have a lot of resources. There's so many great resources out there. And I encourage folks to look on the resources page of our website at loftgrowthpartners.com. There's a lot of tools there that we think might be helpful to folks as they're building their businesses. And folks can always reach out as well with questions or just to say hi.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Liz. I really appreciate your time. Such great advice in here. I hope that many, many people get to hear it.
0: Thank you so much, Christy. Have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.